0: You can open your Bibles to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. James 4, 1 to 12 is our text this morning. Many of you know my family. I have three children, two girls and a boy. My son is two years old. His name is Samuel. He's sitting over there. He's quite a character. And at age two, children... Tend to learn a lot of new words. In fact, every day Samuel is learning new words. We hear interesting things coming out of his mouth. And just this past week, he picked up a toy microphone at home. And I was very surprised at what he said. He grabbed the microphone and he said, Good morning, church. (laughs) True story. And then he said, today, Jesus died cross. Wow, he's getting it. (laughs) He's getting it. He's a good little gospel preacher. So we're very proud of him, and he's learning all kinds of new things. He's also learning some words that I wish he was not saying. Uh, Recently, he has started saying, me first, all the time. We're walking to an elevator. Me first! Kids, it's time for a snack. Me first! Let's go play in the other room. Me first! Me, me, mine, mine! He's learning what selfishness is. It's cute and funny when a two-year-old has a me-first attitude sometimes. We can laugh because it's a young child and they're learning. It's really sad when adults have a me first attitude. It's even sadder when in the church, believers in Jesus come with a me first, mine, mine, mine attitude. Here in James 4, James is going to talk to us about quarrels and fights among brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's going to show us what the root of the problem is I pray that God would humble us yet again through James today, show us our sin, show us our fights and quarrels, and lead us to a repentance so that we won't act like two-year-olds in the church. So let's read our text, James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is God's word for us this morning. James begins this text with a question. What causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? He is seeing the problem of conflict in the church. People are fighting with each other in the church. People who claim to believe in Jesus, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, are fighting each other. How can this happen? I think we've seen this happen. Most of you have probably seen some quarrels and fights, even among Christians. James is going to give us two problems, two heart problems that are at the root of our fights, and then two solutions in our text this morning. So let's look first at the problems. The first problem we see is the problem of our passions. Our passions. In verse 1, James starts to answer the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Listen again. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's our passions at war within us that is leading us to fight. You want something and you don't have it. So you're angry at someone else in the church. You're coveting what other people have. You're coveting other people's ministry. You're coveting other people's possessions. And it leads you to fights and to quarrels, even in the church. James even uses the word murder here. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now I don't think James was literally seeing murder in the churches back then. I hope not. But I think the heart behind the pride and the passions that we see here is the same heart that leads to murder. James is seeing murderous thoughts, murderous quarrels in the church. It's dividing people up, tearing people apart in the family of God to the point that it's like murder. When everyone comes to church and comes to our relationships with a me-first attitude, this is what happens. Evil passions, coveting, and even murder. Me, me, me leads to fight, fight, fight. We see this even affects our prayer lives. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. So we should ask. We should pray. God wants us to ask Him for what we need to bring our petitions to Him in prayer. We should ask Him. We do not have because we do not ask. Prayer is good. But our desires can be so twisted that even when we ask, we don't receive. Because why? We ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. Even in our prayer life, Our attitude can be, me, 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 me first. Selfishness, even jealousy, fill our prayers. Why would God answer prayers that are selfish at the root? Sometimes we get disappointed. Why is God not answering my prayers? Does God even hear me? Well, it could be that your prayers are more about your kingdom than his kingdom. Maybe your prayers sound more like, my kingdom come, my will be done, rather than your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. Brothers and sisters, what are you praying for? Think about your prayer life. Think about what you pray for day to day, week to week. Is the center of your prayer life you? Is it all about you Maybe you're praying with the wrong motives. Are you bringing your heart and its desires in submission to the Lord, seeking the Lord's will for your life? Often we focus so much on the physical things in this life that all we can think about is praying for a higher salary. Lord, I need more money. Give me a a higher salary. Give me a raise. God is more interested in you getting a raise in holiness in love, in peace, than a raise of money. Is that what you're looking for in your prayer life? That your life would glorify God? Sometimes we pray, all we pray is, Lord, relieve my suffering. I'm in trials. Lord, remove this suffering from me. And Maybe he will. But an even better prayer would be, Lord, use my suffering for your will. Use my suffering for your kingdom, Lord. So our passions lead us to these fights in the church. Our passions lead us to pray selfishly. These passions and these desires can tear us apart, can tear up our relationships with each other, even hurt our relationship with God. That's the first problem here in James. The second problem here in James 4 is the problem of pride pride. In verse 6, God says he opposes the proud. God is against the proud. You do not want to be proud. He opposes the proud. And in verses 11 and 12, we see this pride manifesting itself in these verses about speaking evil against each other and judging each other, judging your neighbor Look at verse 11 again. It says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So if you're speaking against your brother or sister, you're slandering them. You're judging them for the sin you see in them. You're actually judging the law. You're acting as if you are the lawgiver and judge. You are the judge who has the right to determine what, how bad someone else's sin is. But verse 12 says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and it's not you. It's the one who is able to save and to destroy. God is the lawgiver and judge. The law is from God. God is the one who will judge in the end, not you. So when we judge each other in the church, when we are filled with pride, looking down on our brothers and sisters, looking down on our neighbors because of their sin, we are actually usurping the role of God. We're saying, God's not a good enough judge. I should be the judge. I can look down on other people because I'm a good person. I know what's best. I know what their problem is. And all of these prideful thoughts come to mind as we see sin in other people. We become judges with evil thoughts. We are full of pride. Brothers and sisters, we are so prone to justify ourselves, to make light of our own sin, and to magnify the sin of others. This is anti gospel. This is the heart of the Pharisees in the gospels. James is not saying that we ignore other people's sins. If you see a brother or sister in sin, we should seek to restore them. We see that at the end of the book in chapter 5. But what is your heart? What is your response when you see someone else in sin? What is your response? Is it, oh, man, there they go again. I'm glad I'm not doing that. I've got some little sins that I struggle with, but (laughs) that brother, whew. I'm glad I'm not in the sin that he's in. He's got some problems. That sister, she's messed up. God, I'm not doing what she's doing. You've made yourself the prideful judge, justifying yourself while you look down on them. Instead, when we hear of sin in our brothers and sisters' lives, when we see sin in our brothers and sisters' lives, we should seek mercy and restoration. We go to them humbly and urge them to repent Not because we are better than them, but because we know what it's like. If we're honest, we're just one or two steps away from the same sin that they are in. We're in the same danger. You can see how these attitudes will tear a church apart. If we're just following our passions, living in our pride, we'll fight and quarrel until the Lord returns. And this leads to James's strongest words in the book. And you know this has been a strong book so far. And here are James's strongest words in the book. He sees these problems in his brothers and sisters. And he says in verse 4, You adulterous people! When the children of God walk in pride and in their own passions... It's like committing adultery against God. Cheating on Him. Verse 4 goes on. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is seeing in the Christians that they are so lost in their pride and in their passions that they look just like the world. They're no different from the outside, they claim to be Christians, they claim to follow Jesus, but there's no difference. They're on the brink of being called enemies of God. That's how far gone they are. This is a danger zone for the people of God, to where James is saying, You adulterous people. This is the same language we see in the Old Testament a lot. God is like the husband and the people of Israel are like his bride. We saw this in the chapter of Hosea that Sister Gray read earlier. In fact, this is a big theme in Hosea and in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. That God has saved his people and called them to himself, but they continue in sin. They worship idols. They're worshiping the gods of Canaan and Egypt and these other lands, cheating on God who saved them. Do we not do the same thing in our pride, in our quarrels, following our own passions, coming to church and coming to God with a me-first attitude? These are serious sins tantamount to adultery. Brother or sister, in what ways do you look just like the world? Are you any different from the non-Christians in your life? How do you think God feels about that? He's done so much to save you, and you're still running around like anyone else in the world. I pray that God would speak to us this morning about this. You know James here is not saying that we can that that all our friends must be Christians. He talks about friendship with the world here. He's not saying that you cannot have friends that are non-Christians. It's okay to have friends that are non-Christians. We want to pray for them. We want to share Jesus with them. But he is saying that we should not look so much like the world that we're more friends with the world than friends of God. If you're a Christian, you're marked by the name of Christ. So we should be looking more and more like Christ, not friends with the world, just ultimately enemies of God, double-minded people. James is seeing this in the churches. We need to think about this as individuals. We need to think about this in our church as well. The churches then were fighting and full of pride and jealousy and selfish ambition. There's no difference between them and the world. What would James say to us as the church today? You know, some churches out there look just like the world. You can go to some churches, especially in my country, but probably in yours as well, and they look no different than a a non-Christian concert. It's just a show. It's entertainment. And the people coming to those churches are coming to have a show. They want to go to the best show. And so maybe they'd be a part of that church for a few months, but then there's a better show down the street. There's another church that has better music or better lights or whatever it might be. And everyone coming to these churches ends up being consumers. Me first, me first. The church should meet my needs. And this consumer Christianity is rampant in our world. It looks more like Adultery to God than people coming to worship Him. You know, my observation in churches is that people who serve in the church tend to be more connected in the church. You know, if you're a person who's bounced around from church to church, every year it's in a different church, it could be that you need to jump in and serve. Generally, the people who are serving in the church, who are coming to the church with a heart of humility to serve, they also get more connected in the church. They get more fruit from the church. They build relationships with each other as we serve together in the church. We go from consumers to servants. That's what a church should look like. Thankfully, I don't think ECC is putting on a show or... A consumer church. We're certainly not trying to entertain you. But I have seen how pride and passions have led to quarrels in our church, in our body. I've seen times where people are not getting what they want, and they just leave. They don't even tell us why they're leaving. Man, you want to break the heart of your pastor? Leave the church and don't say anything. We hate that. Please don't do that. Where did this person go? We don't even know why they're upset. We had no opportunity to talk to them. We don't know if if maybe we sinned. Maybe we need to change. We don't know. They just left. Please don't do that. We've seen that happen. Sometimes we've seen that ECC feels like a lot of different groups rather than one church, or a lot of different ministries, rather than one church. And ministries can start competing with each other. Or people become defensive about their ministry. Like, I serve in this ministry, and we need to make sure we get all of our announcements made, and that this other ministry does not get too much attention. And different ministries end up competing. Your ministry is not the church. We are one church. One membership covenant, one vision statement, one statement of faith. We should all care about all the ministries of the church equally. You may not serve in the children's ministry, but you should care about the children's ministry. You should pray for the children's ministry. It may not be your ministry, but it's part of our one church. We can't have our ministries competing with each other for attention or for volunteers or things like that. We need to come together as one church. Put these quarrels aside. Put our me-first attitudes aside, My, my ministry attitude aside. Do you or your group or your ministry need to repent of this selfish mindset? So James brings these problems to light for us, these problems of passions and pride. To the point where we're cheating on God. Let's move now to the solutions to this problem. James gives us two solutions. The first solution is the grace of God. The grace of God. This is an amazing passage. I hope you notice this. James's strongest words in the book, his strongest condemnation, his strongest rebuke, you adulterous people, is followed up by the grace of God. God is abundantly, lavishly gracious. Look at the text, verse 5. James refers back to the Old Testament and shows that God is yearning for us. It says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. Even in our sin, as we are prone to wander, God is yearning for us, calling us back. He wants us back. God's jealousy is a good jealousy because he wants what's his. He paid for us. He bought us. He wants what's his. That's good jealousy. It's like a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife belong to each other. They can't be running around with other people. If they do, the other one can can be rightly jealous because they belong to each other. That's how God is with us. We belong to Him. If He sees us wandering, He calls us back. He wants us back. He yearns for us back. He says in the text, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. God's arms are open for you to return. Draw near to Him. And he will draw near to you. God's grace is so amazing. It is greater than all our sin. God's grace kills our pride. That's why he says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in verse 6, he says, but he gives more grace, more grace, more grace. We keep running away, but more grace is given. James is pointing us to the bountiful, beautiful, lavish, amazing, rich grace of God. And brother, the, brothers and sisters, the grace of God is what leads us to our second solution in this text. God's grace leads us to humble repentance. Humble repentance. That's the second solution for our passions and pride. From verses 7 to 10, there are about 10 commands in these four verses. I can't go into detail about each one, but the emphasis is humble repentance. Verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. Verse 8, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Verse 9 a huge call to repentance. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be changed to mourning and your joy to gloom. James's readers are so lost in their sin that they're laughing about it. They're acting as if everything is okay, they're rejoicing even in their sin. James is not saying that laughter is a sin. James is not saying that joy is bad. We know joy is good. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We should seek joy in our lives. We should have joy in our lives. But in this context of James 4, he's seeing laughter over sin. He's calling us to take our sin seriously. And to repent. When we sin as Christians, we should see how grievous that is to God. How serious our sin is. To where we should mourn, we should weep over our sin. I mean, when is the last time you've been so broken over your sin that you grieved it? You realize that it was like adultery against God. And it broke you. Is that your heart when you fall into sin? Change your laughter to mourning. This is a big deal. Sometimes we're so callous or lighthearted about our sins. Like, oh, I sinned, but it's okay. God's grace is there, so it's fine. God's grace is there, but he calls us to repent, to pursue holiness. Finally, verse 10, this summary of the commands Calling us to humble repentance. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves, brothers and sisters. Cut the pride. Cut the boasting. Cut the jealousy. Cut the selfish ambition. Cut the me first attitude. Look for these things in your life and repent of them. See how serious they are and humbly repent before the Lord. And he gives more grace. He will exalt you. He will raise you up. Don't raise yourself up in your pride. He will raise you up. That's what it says in verse 10. So how do we do this? How do we humble ourselves, as verse 10 says? It feels a little abstract. It's hard to measure humility. I don't have a six-step process for you to become more humble this morning. You certainly don't want to walk out of here and just say, I'm going to be more humble. I'm going to be the most humble Christian you've ever seen. And then you're pretty much boasting and in pride once again. I think the best way to be humbled before God is to remember God, to come back to God, to think about God in all of his glory, majesty, reigning over the universe, remembering the bigness of God. You ever go out to the desert at night and look up and see the stars? Thousands and thousands, millions, billions of stars, light years away from us. God is the creator of every single one of those. God is the ruler and master over the whole universe. What are we? We're like dust, we're like nothing. We're we're, we're tiny specks in this universe that God created. How could we be prideful before the God of the universe? He holds the oceans in his hands. He's numbered every grain of sand. And we make ourselves like the judge, like the lawgiver. We make ourselves like the king. We need to remember God. God, who has the name for every star in the universe so glorious, so big, so mighty, is also so full of grace. We are not just dust. He knows your name too. And God in his great grace saw our sin, saw that we are and would be adulterous people saw that we would elevate ourselves in pride, that we would follow our passions, that we would look just like the world, that we would fall into all kinds of sin. God knew that. God saw that. And what did he do? He sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus never sinned, and yet he died the death of, of a sinner. He died the death that we deserve for all of our sins. That's the grace of God. The grace of God shown on the cross for sinners like you and like me. How can we stand in pride before the cross of Christ? How can we stand in pride when we think of Jesus shedding his blood for our sins? The cross should melt away our pride. Remember God in his glory Remember Jesus on the cross and you cannot stand in pride any longer. You know you've been saved by grace alone through the work of Jesus alone. So there's no room for boasting. This should humble us all. This should stop our fights and our quarrels and bring us together as sinners saved by a gracious God. Jesus paid the price for us. So maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're watching this online and you're seeing, yeah, I am prideful. I'm worldly. Come to Jesus and receive the grace of God. Humbly repent and receive the grace of God today. He'll change your heart. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you know you are prone to wander. You see the ways that you're looking like the world Humbly repent before God and come back to the cross and remember all that God has done for you to save you. Let's stop running around like adulterous children. And instead, walk in humility before our gracious God. Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious. Father, I thank you that you know every person who is sitting in this room. You know every person watching this in their homes, in their cars, or wherever. And Father, you know our sins. You know our hearts. You know the ways we have cheated on you, rebelled against you. And you sent Jesus for us. You could have wiped us out. You would have been completely right to destroy us, to send us to hell. We deserved that, Lord, but you sent Jesus to us to die for us. Lord, draw us to yourself, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, draw us to yourself, Lord. We draw near to you. We trust that you draw near to us, Lord we humbly repent, and we receive your grace. It's because of Jesus that we pray. Amen.